This program was previously recorded. The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of KWAM. Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Talk Memphis, oh yeah. Talk Memphis. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to Talk Money. Today we have a very special program for you. Memphis was devastated in April of 1968. And after 50 years, MLK 50 compels Memphians to come to grips with what happened in 1968 and the resulting years of suffering of a society both demanding and resisting change. There were fires and destructions one neighborhood at a time. For those of you that remember whether you were in school or you're in business, you remember the devastation of our city. Memphis, a city that, as you know, as time has rivaled, growing time at that particular time, we were a growing city, thriving. Memphis is a city that has struggled with an image. Memphis is a city that today has the highest poverty rate of any metro area in the nation. I have two individuals with me today that will talk candidly about our great city. The city on a bluff. On the river, a city of people, diverse people, people who care for each other, a city dedicated to making a better place for everyone. Yes, we have problems, sure. We talk about them and we talk about those particular problems, but we have changed and we are still changing. If we look at where we were 50 years ago and where we are today, there is diversity of leadership, there's more opportunity, and we're a better city. The struggles are real, but we have survived. For our future, we must be a people, a community willing to give other people a chance. I love my city. You're going to find out the two people I have today love the city. I hope and pray that you love this city. And as we go through this program, you'll see how great our city, Memphis, is. Coming up, Ms. Beverly Robertson, past president of the National Civil Rights Museum. Dr. Larry Lloyd, founder and president of the Memphis Leadership Foundation. You don't want to miss today's program. It's MLK 50. We're dedicating the program to his memory and what he sought to do for our city. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Chris Purcell, and Nathan Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives. And Latrice McClinn is a registered representative of Securian Financial Services, Inc., Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Today it's MLK 50, and if you haven't noticed, our city has got lots of people in it just moving around because we're celebrating a life and a legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. I have two guests today today with me that we're going to kind of 
peel that onion back and look at our city, this great city of Memphis, and what's changed over the last 50 years and what still needs to be changed. All eyes will be on Memphis this week, and given that it's the 50th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination, my guests today, Beverly Robertson, the past president of National Civil Rights Museum, and Dr. Larry Lloyd, Memphis Leadership Foundation president and founder. Let me start with you, Beverly. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Jim, and good morning to you and your listening audience. Thank you, lady. I appreciate you being here. You're such an icon to this city because you led the Civil Rights Museum for 18 years. That's a long time. (laughs) That's a lifetime. That's a lifetime, exactly. (laughs) But what do you think Dr. King's dream was, and how do you see that it's being lived out in our city today? Well, I think Dr. King's dream was really all about creating this beloved community. This was a community where black and white and Jews and Gentiles and Protestants and Catholics and uh, no matter what walk of life you came from, you would be accepted for who you are and there would be value in human dignity. And so that was really Dr. King's dream. And I think we're still working now to realize that dream, because you may recall that when Dr. King was killed, he really began to take the whole issue of the movement from race to economic parity among people. And many believe that that, along with his stand on the Vietnam War, was what ultimately led to his assassination. Mm. Now, Memphis has certainly come a long way since the days of when uh, blacks had to ride in the back of the bus or couldn't try on a hat in a store Mm. or couldn't drink from the same water fountain. Mm. Uh, Since those days, we have come a long way. And yes, indeed, we do have some challenges. But I will say this, that the manifestation of the progress that this city has made can be seen in the tremendously philanthropic spirit of those who lead our foundations and their support for nonprofit organizations, whether they're in social service or education. We have one of the most philanthropic communities in this nation. You know, you mentioned that. That is exactly one of our one of our biggest reputations or good things that we put a star by is that Memphis is known for its philanthropy. I was talking to someone from Nashville yesterday, and he was talking about, uh, you know, it's interesting that Memphis, you know, gets a bad rap. At, yep. the, at the state level and across the state of Tennessee, uh, he said, but it's interesting that the people here are so much more generous yeah. than folks in Nashville. And he said, it is amazing because he's working on a project to build a new museum and he marvels at the National Civil Rights Museum and the level of support that we had. But in terms of the progress that has been made, I think we can look at what Uh, the mayor uh, was like 50 years ago and what our current mayor is like. I mean, he has uh, decided that the sanitation workers needed remuneration because many are still working in their 70s and 80s and cannot retire because they have no retirement. Mm. So he has made some steps toward, you know, writing that. And I think that's a big plus. I think that uh, the progress that we have made, certainly in allowing Uh, or electing more diverse officials, which represent different sets of voices, 
That is progress that has been made. I think the progress that we're still working on in terms of equity and parity with contracting and opportunities for African-Americans and other ethnicities in terms of getting a piece of the pie uh, from uh, government contracting, that will be part of it. I think the Ascend Business Development Program that the Chamber of Commerce has to pair leader businesses with member businesses, small minority businesses, so that they can build capacity, that's progress that would not have been. When you mention that and you talk about that, uh, let me go back and step back and introduce our second guest, Dr. Larry Lloyd, who is the founder and president of the Memphis Leadership Foundation. And when we talk, Larry, about the philanthropy and how that Beverly mentions that as the city is known for. And then you talk about diversity, Beverly, and you say that we're better and more diverse. You know, I think that's the strength of our city from that standpoint. So, Larry, from your perspective, because you've been involved in ministry in this city for as long as I've known you, and uh, you're not a, you're not as young as you used to be. So I'm going to say for more than five years. How about that? <laughs> more than five years. <laughs> more than five years. <laughs> I got it. So so how long has how, just to start with that? How long have you been involved in this city? Of course, we're talking about MLK 50. 50 years ago today, something occurred in this city that, for a decade following, set us back hundreds of years. Yes. No question. So talk about it. Yeah, 50 years ago, I was at Central High School uh, on the baseball field, actually, when Dr. King was shot, and didn't hear about that till I got on the radio uh, in the car going home, uh, going home from baseball practice. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, the tragedy of it is that folks that look like me, I'm, I'm, I'm white, uh, particularly conservative folks, were not at all upset about that, in fact, celebrated Mm. The fact that Dr. King was now out of the picture. But that began uh, a road of um, inquiry into my own life. Uh, as growing up in a Christian church, I couldn't understand how a gospel preacher's death could at all, at all be celebrated by folks that looked like me. And that began a real conundrum in my own life in terms of who is Jesus, the, the one that Martin preached about or the one that I was raised with that was blue-eyed and blonde-haired, and realized that Martin's gospel was the gospel of Jesus, that the gospel was not only spiritual, but economic and social, and, uh, and that we had to come to grips with the fact that if I'm going to say I love God and hate my brother, then I cannot say I love God. So it's all about loving the, the, the beloved community that, that King preached about. It, was, it all came from Scripture. From Jewish scripture, New Testament scripture, he was, you know, first and foremost, he was a gospel preacher, a Baptist preacher, right. for crying out right. loud. Uh, and it comes, so out of the bowels of the Old and New Testament came his teaching and preaching about the beloved community. Uh, Revelation chapter 7, where people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, countless people are before the throne of God. This was the community he preached about. And it could not come to pass unless the people of God began to live out the gospel in love of neighbor. And that love of neighbor was not only spiritual uh, in terms of evangelism, but also social and economic. You know, when you talk about that, Larry, one of the things that, that I think that makes our city, you know, again, we can, we can take the rap and get all the bad that we need to, but, but we talk about philanthropy, we talk about giving, we talk about diversity, we talk about better leadership, all those things, Beverly, you were talking about. The reality, I think if you, if you try to put this in, in the, back to the biblical perspective that he preached and then the, as we're living it out, 
Diversity tells us whether or not our walk matches our talk. Absolutely. I mean, if uh, if we live in cocoons, yeah, uh, we're never going to experience this beloved community. And in fact, uh, all my life, I've been in Memphis all my life, uh, raised here, uh, and I have three mentors, and purposely, they're all African-American men. Uh, Fred Davis, one of the first African-American city councilmen, has been my mentor since 1975. Burley Sangster in Denver, Colorado, Bill Pinnell, and John Perkins, actually four mentors. And I would not, uh, th- those mentors have enriched my life in ways that I cannot even imagine. But it has to be purposeful. It has to be intentional. And that's what King was talking about. We have to be intentional about the beloved community. It's not going to happen by accident. Amen. That's exactly right. Beverly, let me ask you this, because as we try to pull this together and we think through what do you see what now? Now here, here's for you. Just if you just tuned in, I have two guests today. Phenomenal. We're celebrating MOK 50. We're thinking through the legacy of Dr. King, and we're talking about our city, our great city of Memphis. Yes, we can say we talk about you know the bad raps and stuff, but this is still a great city. We love this city. And Beverly, you, you when we were talking about this, we were talking about the dream of Memphis that he had. But let's talk about the dream of Memphis that you have. What do you see for Memphis? Well, I, you know, if I were to create the ideal Memphis, Tennessee, I would create a city where there would be no differences between the races, where people could respect each other, not because they were rich or hate them because they're poor, uh, not because, uh, you know, you were one color and I was another, not because you had a certain view about one issue and I had another. But we would respect people with the love and the, you know, spirit of Jesus, really, because there were no boundaries. We knew no boundaries. There weren't big issues. We acknowledge that we're different. And we will always have differences. But I see a city that has job opportunities for all. Those who are down and out, who stand on the street corner, would not be disparaged, but would we would embrace them and try to help them and teach them. Um, there would be opportunities for people to live, you know, wherever it is they wanted to live without businesses moving out of their communities yeah. because they are certain colors or because they don't feel that, you know, they can exist or be successful in those communities. And that is rampant in Memphis and probably other urban markets as well. So we're not unique uh, in having businesses relocate uh, because the community gets too black. Or even if I move into a neighborhood that is a traditionally white neighborhood and once two or three black families move in, there's a mass exodus. We wouldn't have that in this city. Um, So it would be a city of justice and fairness and equity. We wouldn't have a juvenile justice system that the Department of Justice would have to come in and give oversight and governance to. We wouldn't have as many people being arrested on small, petty crimes, but getting wrapped up into a system that they can't get out of because the criminal justice system perpetuates, you know, holding people 
and creating a system that does not allow you to free yourself mm, from that's it. That's a good point. So that's a, I just, I, I think I would have that kind of system. That that's, would be my message. You know, that's, and again, that's, uh, somebody might say to you, well, that's euphoria, that's not possible, but through Jesus, as you said, it is possible. That is. is what happens when we see change in people. Larry, you've been involved for just multiple years with the Memphis Leadership Foundation where you've walked through the streets guiding and helping and, and developing ministry after ministry and leadership person after leadership. I mean, counseling and mentoring. Are you seeing change, number one, and what do you see in the future? What I see, in the, you know, I, I love the prophet Zechariah. Uh, is sort of our mantra is that in, in chapter 8, he talks about, he, of course, he's a post-exilic prophet. He's talking about the rebuilding of a city. And I, I talk about, and when he talks about the rebuilding of a city, it's a city where children play in the street with no fear of harm, and old folks with cane in hand because they're, of their age sit on the porch drinking lemonade and sweet tea, watching them play in the street. So I talk about playgrounds. There are battlegrounds in Memphis. Yes. Uh, there are battlegrounds economically. There are battlegrounds with gang members. There's battlegrounds in certain neighborhoods. My, my passion and my, uh, my vision for Memphis is that we turn battlegrounds into playgrounds, that we take purposeful action to remedy situations in order for people to live in peace, to live in security. And as the, and particularly as those of us get older, those boomers, uh, we want to be able to sit on the porch drinking sweet tea, watching our children play in the streets without any fear of harm. That is the beloved community. That's the that's the vision Zechariah had for the New Jerusalem. It's the vision we have for the New Memphis. If you just tuned in, my guest today, Dr. Larry Lloyd, Memphis Leadership Foundation founder and president, and Miss Beverly Robertson, past president of the National Civil Rights Museum. We're talking about Memphis. We're celebrating MLK 50. We live in a diverse city, and yet it's a great city. And change is what we're talking about. Why is change important? Because you can't stay the way we were. If we stay like we were, folks, that's not that's not acceptable. So we're talking about change, and nobody likes change. When we start pushing, whether you're one thing has changed, you don't like what we're doing, or you don't think it's enough. Reality is, change is tough. But it's people like these two that I have here today, dedicated to making a difference in our city. And I want you, as a listener, to pay attention, because you probably can find an opportunity that you might be a part of that change that we can put together here in our city. Dr. Martin Luther King was here to talk about change, and we're talking about what's going on for the last 50 years. Beverly, you I know from the Civil Rights Museum, there is this theme, or the theme, I guess, is for Dr. Lar- for MLK 50. Came, I guess it came out of the Civil Rights Museum. At least as I did some research, I kind of heard that. The theme, where do we go from here? And you kind of were talking about that a little bit. But what are we pushing against, in your opinion? What Let's kind of the elephant in the room, you know? And we've got just a few minutes for this, but we'll talk about it. I want to know, what are the struggles? What, from your chair, do you see that we just can't get people to do? Well, Where Do We Go From Here was the name of a book, and it was King, a King-written book. Uh, the title is, Where Do We Go From Here, From Chaos or Community? That's right. So... What I would say is we're pushing against a number of things. We're pushing against provincial attitudes um, of people that find it hard to change 
um, attitudes that find it hard to accept the notion that racism is still alive and well in America. And it does indeed impact people negatively. We're pushing against pervasive poverty in Memphis and trying to determine what some of those solutions are because poverty is a complicated animal. There are so many things that lead to and perpetuate poverty, and one of those things is public policy. We have public policies that reinforce uh, poverty in the marketplace, and I'll give you an example of one. Um, You know, not too long ago, there was legislation about welfare to work, saying that people who lived in public housing would have to get a job uh, and go to work. Well, it's interesting. Because while we said that people needed to do that, we did not put in wraparound services to allow women who have children to be able to afford health care. If they're going to a minimum wage job and that job is not in their neighborhood, they've got to ride the bus. They have to transfer three times. If you transfer three times going and three times coming and you got to pay for child care, you have no money to take care of your expenses at the end of the week. So it's cheaper for you to stay home and get government assistance than it is to have a job because you don't make a living wage. But there are policies, public policies, that perpetuate those things. And until we realize that and until we address that, we will have pervasive poverty in Memphis. It starts with public policy change. And that's why we have to elect the right officials who understand that. I think you could be running for office if I, you know. Could, no. <laughs> that, that was that was well said, yes. very well said, Larry. From your chair, when when I talk about change and and Beverly very articulated the public policy, and we have about a minute and a half. But from your chair, what are we pushing against? Well, Beverly, uh, wax is eloquent on that. I'm I'm just going to say complacency. Um, you know we. Uh, People, like you said, don't want to change, and so we have sort of this old guard that um, don't that that doesn't want to see a new Memphis or a new reality, uh, like this. The whole, uh, you know, fifteen dollars an hour, living wages. We, we can we can pay living wages, but materialism gets in the way, doesn't it? Uh, complacency. If the bottom line for my company is going to be hurt because I'm going to pay a living wage, well, I won't pay a living wage. In fact, you know, I, I like cheap labor. Well, cheap labor is uh, you know, something ethically and morally wrong. Jesus said it himself. He said, don't cheat the farmer out in the field and, but by withholding his wages. And so, you know, this is, this is radical stuff. But Jesus is a radical prophet. Uh, Zechariah was a radical prophet. John the Baptist was radical. And radical folks can be pushed to the side because complacency is easier. So unless we begin to, so what we're pushing against is a complacent attitude that things are the way they are, and let's keep them that way. Well, you've been listening, of course, and I want you to stay with us. We're going to take a break, but we're coming back with Dr. Larry Lloyd, Memphis Leadership Foundation, Miss Beverly Robertson, past president of the National Civil Rights Museum. You're listening to some passionate people about a great thing of the city of Memphis. We're celebrating MLK 50 and what it means to our city. What do you think Dr. King's dream was? And how do you see it coming out today? What's your thoughts? Stay with us. We'll be back. This is Talk Money. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should always consult their tax or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. 
Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money this morning, a special program. It's a very special program. We're celebrating MLK 50. My guest today is Ms. Beverly Robertson, past president of the National Civil Rights Museum, Dr. Larry Lloyd, Memphis Leadership Foundation founder and chairman. And uh, we're talking about our great city, Memphis, and where we've come in the last 50 years and what are still our problems, what still issues. We've talked about public policy. We've talked about complacency. We've talked about the reality that, you know, we, we still have poverty. Memphis is a city that has that reputation of being the number one poverty center in America. And what are we doing about it? Well, let me ask you guys, uh, Beverly, you, you have uh, been an educator prior to being the chair of the executive director of the National Civil Rights Museum. And as an educator, what did you see in the classroom that just kind of tells you that's an issue for us? Yeah. Well, let me start off by saying there has been such dramatic change in um, the educational system since the time I was educated in public schools at Melrose High School in the Orange Mound community. Um, We had teachers who loved us, who cared about us, who admonished us. Parents who, if you got admonished at school, you got a beating at home. (laughs) I I mean, because you were out of order. (laughs) If you were out of order, you were out of order. (laughs) And not only did your parents take responsibility, if you were walking down the street and did something, you got it. You got it from the neighborhood. I always wanted to just always wanted to know how did my dad know that before I got home? (laughs) Somebody told (laughs) him. Exactly. (laughs) And so, so it was really a different time. Where the whole community, the church, embraced young people and supported them. I think there has been truly a breakdown of the family in many ways. Mm. And I also think that sometimes people who are impoverished don't know what they don't know. I think that we have to educate because there is st- there are statistics and loads of them that would suggest that if a child... Uh, is not reading or listening to music or understanding concepts by the time they're three years old, then they're going to be in trouble. So it is important for us to have preschool education, for children to be read to. Exposure is one of the most important things that one can get because it helps them to understand that there is a world a whole lot bigger, way outside of where they may live. And they have aspirations uh, to be somebody different, somebody bigger, somebody that can really sustain themselves through a good job and a great education. So reading is the key early on. Reading, comprehension, understanding concepts, and being able to translate that later. But if you don't have the fundamentals of that, then you're in trouble. You know, I, that's so critical. When you, you tell me that, I, I know I have grandkids that I've watched them learn to read, and I can remember me learning to read, and I'm, now I read a ton. But if a child 
by the time he's in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, let's say, finds himself not able to read or behind, it's, it gets tougher and tougher. And next thing you know, it's like I just give up because I can't read, I can't comprehend, and I'm watching the other students pass me up. And now my identity, my self-esteem is shot. Absolutely. And there's no recovering of that. And that's what that's where I see a huge problem. I've had Effie Johnson here on the show several times from the Neighborhood Christian Center. Mm -hmm. And Effie says to me that one of the biggest things she sees, and Larry, I'm I'm addressing this to you, both of you, but she says that it's difficult. And Larry, you shouldn't. You're right in the trenches of breaking the cycle. Mm -hmm. The cycle, if mom and dad or mom didn't read or dad didn't read, uh, and that child is not in a reading environment, Beverly, you're talking about it, music or something, they're not listening to that, then all of a sudden, it's like that's the next generation. And then the next generation. You were talking about a family that that wasn't acceptable in your home. Mm-hmm. And yet today it's becoming more in that poverty-stricken area. It's the cycle that's very difficult to break. Yeah, so uh, I'm not an educator. I, yeah, I taught one year in high school, but uh, Beverly's much more adept at that. But uh, here's, I guess what I'd w- want our listeners, particularly Memphians, to hear is we're also a city of churches. Uh, we're a fl- philanthropic city, but we're a city of churches. If people would get out of the pews off their rear ends, and get into the schools like Donna Gaines is trying to do, what Hope Presbyterian is doing, uh, uh, St. Andrew AME, I can go on and on. But we don't. We, we have an army of people in the pews that if they would get out of the pews and read to children, we could change the city. The people of God, Jewish, Christians, Muslims, and all these places of worship are comfortable in the pews. And that's not religion. Religion, what is Amos, you know, true religion is visiting the orphan, taking taking in the orphan, reading to children, uh, going to juvenile court, mentoring a kid. We could uh, there's a group in Denver, in fact, uh, that said we're going to we're going to solve the foster care problem in Denver. If the church, if every church would foster one child, then we would eliminate the foster care program or foster needs in Denver. And they're doing that. What amazing things we could do as the people of God, Jew and Gentile and Muslim, if we decided that we would simply go to the school that's around the corner from our church and read to children from the first to the third grade. We know that the, that third grade reading level, prison cells are actually uh, d- d- uh, developed based on third grade lean, uh, reading levels of males in this country. Mm-hmm. So if you're not reading by the third grade, then your self-esteem, everything goes, it, it, it goes out the window. And so we could solve the literacy problem. We could solve this, or we, we could definitely make a dent in the cycle of poverty if we'd simply get out of our pews. Yeah, and just a, a comment to add on to that. You know, the work of the church is in the world. It's not in, as my husband and I call it, sometimes the money mausoleums that they call churches. Uh, <laughs> because, well said. Because, you know, I, I don't think some churches view that as their role. You may live around public housing, but you never go in to the public housing complexes to bring young people, to minister to families, to talk to them about what it is they can do and be and, and embrace them. You know, we, we've got to stop sort of being up here on our high horses and bring it down to the level where the people really are. You know, in philanthropy, while philanthropy is wonderful, 
It's relationships that change people's lives. It is lives. indeed. So you can't throw money, uh, money throwing money at the. You can't throw money at the poverty issues in Memphis without the relational capital. Absolutely. Because it's relational capital. It's that relationship, one-on-one relation that will change both lives: the, the mentee and the mentor, the tutor and the tutee. Absolutely. I, I, that's well said. I think a lot of people think of foreign missions. You got to get on a plane, Ghost. fly someplace, you know, and do mission work. And you could do it right here, and it does change an indiv- individual when you're, 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 you're the boots on the ground. You're the person that's building a relationship, and that's so critical. I think a lot of people do think of, I'll give money to it, just don't let me get my hands dirty, mm-hmm. because our time is very important very to important. us. It's yeah. sacred, but uh, I just don't see anywhere in the Old and New Testament where that's an option. Are we changing? Are we making differences? That's the end question, guys. Or is Memphis moving, pushing in the direction that we should be going? I'll start with you, Larry. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, while, it is, while I'm, I'm sort of you know, railing on people in the pews, no, no, no. Well, there are I, all kind of people in the pews that are out in the out streets. Out in the streets. And we just but need we're more. never enough. Well, it's never enough uh, because, again, complacency makes us stay comfortable. Once, once, you know, com- being comfortable is more important. So while we need more and more, we are making huge progress uh, in so many ways. I mean, we, we Memphis Leadership Foundation, we have, you know, 17 programs under our umbrella, 12 nonprofits we do back office for. They're probably... Four or five thousand volunteers involved in Read Read to Succeed, after school programming at Memphis Athletic Ministries, coaching basketball. Uh, this didn't happen fifty years ago. Uh, it is happening in Memphis today. We're seeing we're seeing businesses like Barnhart Crane and Rigging, the Bryce Corporation, that are now working with us on hiring ex offenders. Uh, not, not checking the box anymore. That you know, have you ever been convicted of a felony? So we have companies willing to get rid of the box. We're ha- we're having companies like Bryce Corporation, Tom Bryce, the pre- the founder, and Alan Barnhart, Barnhart Crane and Rigging, that are hiring ex offenders on on the job for six months on the job training, so that they can have a job history. If you don't have a job history, it's hard to get. A job and so we have now companies that, that are now saying yeah this is this is part of our this part of the solution mm. we need to not only pay a living wage but we need to give ex-offenders a second chance and so we're seeing corporations do that we're seeing our government make strides in some areas we're seeing public policy changes uh, for the good uh, we need more of that uh, and and so i have i have great hope i'm i'm not a cynic i'm a, i'm an optimist uh, and i'm an optimist because i read the Old and New Testament. Amen. I know Amen. how it ends. You know, the Lord said, when you see someone in need, meet that need. And that's what we're talking about. Beverly, what do you see? Um, I see a lot of good things going on. I see organizations. I see churches um, moving, many of them moving from the pulpits to the communities. And I will say this. Uh, Dr. Lloyd made a very good point when he started talking about relationships make the difference. Um, My husband and I, several years ago, decided that we wanted to take some African-American young men in public housing, uh, and we wanted to be mentors to them. Um, Two of these young men lived with us for periods of time. They traveled with us. They got exposed to different things. They went horseback riding with my kids. They saw a life that was very different from, from them. We have now actually educated 
One young man graduated from Lane College. The other one graduated from Morehouse and is now working at First Tennessee Bank. These are young men who would have been hopeless. A Morehouse man. A Morehouse man. That's not a slouchy school either (laughs) because he was a brilliant guy. These children want the same things that we want. They just don't have the same access to opportunity. And so the more relationships that are built, the more that we can deal personally with the families, the more that we can provide uh, opportunities for these young people to be exposed to a life that they would never see otherwise, um, then I think the more successful this community will be because that is the foundation and that really is where it all starts. Well, you've been listening to Beverly Robertson and Dr. Larry Lloyd. Beverly with the National Civil Rights Museum, past president, Larry Lloyd, Memphis Leadership Foundation. I'll tell you later on how to reach them if you'd like to talk to them personally. Memphis, a city on the bluff, on the river, a city of people, diverse people, people who care about each other. It's a city dedicated to making a better place for everyone. We believe in this city, and we hope you do. Listen to the song. We'll be back in a few minutes with Chris Purcell and Nathan Powell. We've got to talk a little bit about retirement. We've got to talk a little bit about money. That's just what we have to do. But stay with us. You're going to enjoy this song. This was Dr. Martin Luther King's favorite song. I am Neither Securian Financial Services nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Larry Lloyd, Ramsey Clark, Memphis Leadership Foundation, Beverly Robertson, or the National Civil Rights Museum. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome back. I just want to remind you, if you would like to get in touch with Dr. Larry Lloyd, Dr. Larry Lloyd's telephone number is 729-2931, 729-2931. If you'd like to be a mentor, if you'd like to make a difference in our city, just pick up the phone and call him. If you'd like to talk with Beverly Robertson, her telephone number is 529-9699, excuse me, 521-9699, Telephone number again, 521-9699. Dr. Larry Lloyd, 
888-253-2931. We've been celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King Day, the MLK 50. Well, we've got to talk about something that is so critical for all of you that's listening, retirement planning today. This is an educational course for adults ages 50 to 70. I have two very smart young men here in the office in the station today. Doctor, doctor. well, hey, guys, I'm going to make you big time. About that? But I could do that. Chris Purcell and Nathan Powell from Shoemaker Financial, and they're putting on a seminar. They're going to be teaching. It's a class. It's a teaching class at Northwest Mississippi Community College. Guys, welcome to the program. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us. You know, you guys were on the program. I actually had one of you on the program a couple of months ago, and we talked about this, and it was there was a lot of interest and a lot of energy behind this, but if you attend this course and you, and you go through this process, now let me make sure that everybody understands, this is not a seminar, this is not a product selling deal. You guys are, a, are teachers, you're teaching from the Literacy Foundation, you're, you're part of our literacy group, and uh, you have a title. So what's the title? Yeah, sure. So we're part of what's called the Financial Educators Network. And it's a, a network of financial professionals all across the United States that teach this. Um, it's called Retirement Planning Today. It's a financial literacy course. It's a six-hour course that's uh, taught at universities all over the U.S. And Chris and I are able to teach it at Northwest Community College in South Haven and are excited for our upcoming classes. Chris, tell me this. When you attend this course, you know, Nathan says it's a six-hour course. This is not uh, – uh, you have a textbook, actually. You you go through the process with a textbook. Yes, sir. We have two kind of workbooks that they, they give out that's covered on the first day and then the second day as well. And so we kind of take it through the, the A's disease of retire, A's disease through retirement uh, and kind of discuss everything that's out there. Um, we also – now, it is three-hour course twice – twice a day uh and it's a little you know there's some dry stuff in there but we try to mix in real life experiences to help people understand the information that we're talking about so you go through the process where a person you create a plan that they can retire at their time some want to retire early some realize they need to retire late, but that's part of the pro- Do you do that in the seminar, or do you show them how to do it? Well, the, uh, the, the class itself is designed just to go over all the different topics that you're going to be facing, whether it's questions about Social Security, how does it work, how does money in my retirement plan work, how do I get it out, what are my options, what about a Roth versus a traditional, what are the differences, how, how do, does inflation play into it? I mean, we cover so much material that we're not really able to address particular situations in the class, but afterwards, we're fine. we're uh, happy to set up a time for a uh, complimentary consultation with clients to go over their particular situation to help give them the guidance and apply what they've learned in the class. But there's no obligation to do that? No, sir. So so let's go through that. When you, when you attend the course, you learn how, and you just said, Chris, where they get to at least do some idea of a plan. You learn, what are some of the other things that the, you help them go through? Because it's not just... It's not just going through a textbook. They're actually learning things that apply to them as as people in their 50s to 70, 
planning for retirement? Sure. Uh, I think one of the things that a lot of people getting ready for retirement have a lot of questions on is Medicare um, and how that will affect their lives. Hey, what happens if I retire early before 65? What does that mean for health insurance? Um, Nate mentioned a few things about distributions and, and taking money out of your 401ks and your IRAs. Um, and then what will happen is as you go through this course, you will find out a bunch of information, a bunch of different facts, a bunch of rules and regulations that you weren't aware of possibly beforehand. And then you're going to want to know, how does this apply to me? How can I take all of this information and now apply it to my own personal situation? I guess the thought, pro- let me make sure everybody gets this. If you're, if you're just tuned in, I'm talking with Chris Purcell and Nathan Powell. We're talking about retirement planning today, Northwest Mississippi Community College, Thursday, April the 5th and 12th. That's tomorrow night. April the 5th and the 12th at 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And then Tuesday, that's next Tuesday, April the 10th. And then the following, it's April the 17th. Again, 6 to 9 p.m. If you want to talk to them and call them to register, it is a registration. You need to get your seat. 757-5757. Chris Purcell, Nathan Powell. Don't you don't want to miss this, folks, if you're thinking about it, and there's so many issues. I, I know that what you do is, is talk about life planning in this process, which is Nathan, what what is life planning? I mean, that's an issue that so many times uh you get into the numbers. You know, numbers are easy. Right. But what is life planning? I've heard you guys talk about that. Sure. So it's it's one of the uh the first things that we talk about in the course is helping people think through what exactly is retirement going to look like? A lot of times, you know, they've spent, you know, 30, 40 years saving and saving and saving, knowing that they're going to be using this money. And then, you know, I don't know how many times Chris and I have had this experience where people come in, they sit down and we say, okay, you know, once you're finished working, tell me what your day-to-day life is going to look like. And we'll either get one of two answers. We'll get someone who will you know, give the litany of all the trips they're going to take, the, you know, the people that they're going to go visit, all those things, or we'll get a complete blank stare. I can understand that. Sure. And so, you know, part of the life planning in retirement is looking at what is your lifestyle going to entail? How do we help you navigate, you know, figuring out the type of expenses to plan for to sustain that lifestyle. And, you know, are you going to be active? Are you going to volunteer more? How will you spend your time? It's a lot of the, you know, day-to-day part of retirement that people normally don't think about. They think it's all focused around money and money is actually there just to help you live the lifestyle that you're trying to accomplish. I say on this program often difference between, you know, watching the 60 inch, you know, flat screen, color, FDMI, whatever you call it, type TV, and then go back to watching the 14-inch, you know, black and white, (laughs) big console-type TV. And nobody wants to retire going back to the 14-inch. Right. But we do have a tendency to focus on the money side. And whether you like that or not, Nathan, I know you, you really do talk about lifestyle, but people do that. So do you guys get into the allocation of assets and and whether or not so many people think, well, when I get to retirement, I got to go to cash or got to protect. How do you do it? Because people are living longer today. Yeah, we, we definitely talk about that. So, I mean, there is a portion kind of the, the feeling side and, and, and understanding the life planning of it. But then there's also the technical side, which Nate and I do with on a day-to-day basis. We talk about stocks, we talk about bonds, we talk about asset allocation and what that means to your portfolio. Um, and and it's a lot of different things to digest again. And just what sounds like a long period of time 
three hours uh, in two days, but we could probably teach this class for what a, a full semester if we have the time at least <laughs> at least a full yeah, semester it is continuing education it is you guys again nathan you guys belong to a network of people all over the united states that right. teach us in universities what's the network correct financial educators network that's so that's what we're called and the course is titled retirement planning today and retirement today is probably a lot different if you're listening and you're about to enter retirement your retirement will look different than your parents retirement or your grandparents and you know our job is to educate you to let you know all the different moving parts that are going to go into affecting that. and again it's an educational course for adults aged 50 to 70 it does cost it's not free right 49 dollars. 49 dollars. well i like the way you do that not 50. That's right. 49. Sounds a little cheaper, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's a little cheaper at 49. But the reality is, it's not a selling, it's not something you're not selling anything. You're just there educating. People can go through the course, complete the material, shake your hand, say, thank you. I learned a lot. And that's it. There's no obligation after that. So, right. how does that work? Do they, what's the purpose of them coming? They're going to get educated. But what do they do with that education? Well, that's up to them, right? So, I mean, they, they are coming to get educated and to figure out either reinforces things that they've already learned or they're learning new things. And so we touched on it a little bit earlier is once you learn these items, uh, pieces of information, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to apply these things? You know, if all of a sudden you haven't had any estate planning done and you're leaving behind, you know, six children, that may be something that you want to look more into. And of course, Nate and I are there to help those people if they want to. If they want to reach out and talk to someone else, we can help them with that. Um, but the, the purpose is, is not to just go to this course and kind of stuff your mind with a bunch of different facts and figures and things like that. It's to actually apply what you've learned to your situation. And that is probably the most important aspect of the whole thing, is, is when you try to take it from what... It's not generic. It's not this huge deal. They then can take it and apply it to their situation, how it fits their particular issues. And everybody's issue is different. That's right. Everyone has unique circumstances that they're looking at. And, you know, everyone has a unique approach also. Not everyone is you know, going to be a hands-on learner. Not everyone's just going to be an you know, auditory learner. So we have to find ways even in the class to make sure that we're connecting with everyone so that they can take the information. You know, we don't speak about any products. There's no product talk. So it's not a stake and sale. So not to worry about that. Not we just going want, to a restaurant. That's right. We want you to come and learn. We're educators at heart. Retirement planning today for an educational course, continuing education for adults age 50 to 70, Northwest Mississippi Community College. Thursdays, that's Thursday, it's April the 5th, tomorrow, and next Thursday from 6 to 9. Tuesdays, that's next Tuesday, April the 10th and the 17th, 6 to 9. Call 757-5757. That's all you got to do. Ask for Chris Purcell or Nathan Powell. Let them know that you want to attend Retirement Planning Today. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. Thank you so much for being a part of today's program. We've celebrated MLK 50. We hope you appreciate the changes that are going on in our city and where we're going from here. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Chris Purcell, and Nathan Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives. And Latrice McClinn is a registered representative of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. 
Compliance Officer Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money.